Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I talk with movement enthusiasts to learn who they are, what they do, and why they do it. My guest today is Vincent Thibault. Welcome, Vincent. How are you? Hi. I'm very good, actually. How about you? I'm I'm off the charts. Awesome. I've only waited uh, seven, eight, eight. I've only waited eight years <laughs> to talk to you. No. Um, so uh, a little anecdote. I believe I first met you actually in person at an American Rendezvous event in Boston in, ooh, I'm going to say 2014, 2013, maybe. Uh, you probably know the year because you'd probably remember being there uh, because you gave a little, they did like these little fun, like not even lectures. It was like, anybody who wants to hear this weird person jibba jabba for five minutes, go sit over here, kind of breakout sessions. So I was like, oh, no, someone over. I think somebody told me, you should go listen to Vincent. Um, so I had a chance to sit and listen to you. This is going to turn into a question. <laughs> I had a chance to, <laughs> I'm not going to ask you what you said. That would be really rough. Um, and you were talking about training and I'm going to say you were talking about motivation and the takeaway that I got from it was um, like, just do whatever it takes. And, and the, the takeaway for me was like, well, if I'm dying of thirst or I need a snack or I need to find a simpler way to begin, or I need to find, it was just like, whatever it takes. It doesn't have to be, you know, Craig's movement doesn't have to be, you weren't, you didn't know who I was. You weren't talking to me in particular, but Craig's movement doesn't have to be anything specific. Just find some way to begin. And through the years, sometimes people ask, sometimes I talk about, I developed this thing I call the shim or the wedge, which is where I get stuck. And I think I got this from you. I get stuck and I go, there's nothing here that I can do. I'm crossing my arms and pouting. And then I think of Vincent and I think, well, I don't know, what would be the simplest thing I could possibly do here, no matter how dumb it is. And I just do that. And then variably moving gives me another idea and then on and on I go. So I don't know if I got that from you, but I'm going to say I got it from you. Hey, thanks for that. Um, what comes to mind for you when you think about moving and moving with other people? So it's one thing to train on our own. To, to go out and move and get what we need out of movement. Well, what comes to mind for you when you think about moving with other people? There's a there's always an element of uh, rejoicing for me. That's that's where I'm at these days. Uh, I mean, you know, I've been reconnecting with some old friends, old training partners, and it, frankly, it doesn't quite matter uh, what type of moves we do or you know, how much of a physical challenge we get out of it, or how much of a workout we get out of it, or whatever, you know, it's really, it's really about rejoicing. We're so happy to be together and share some good times. Um, but I think one of the key words that come to mind for me is uh, communication, communication, you know. There has to be some kind of exchange between uh, the people you're training with and yourself and your environment, right? Uh, if you want to isolate any of those elements it doesn't work at all you know the situation gets frozen uh, you're not inspired and doesn't go anywhere right mm. so there's always always an element of communication uh, even if you're by yourself by the way uh, there, there has to be some kind of communication between your body and mind uh, between you and the environment and so on and so forth so it's always there mm. 
so I'm torn. So as soon as we say communication, one of the things that I love most about um, training is that when you train with other people, there's multiple level, like layers, multiple layers to the communication. And like, I can't do what you do. Right. And actually you probably can't do what I do because like, it's just not going to work. And I think seeing somebody else move, even though you're like, I can't do that. You, you somehow have a movement vocabulary. Each of us have our own vocabulary and it, it helps us to understand what that other person is actually feeling, not just what they're thinking, but what they're feeling when you see them move. So you mentioned uh, joyous. I think you mentioned joyous and that you can see that in someone's movement or you can see that they're tired, which is what most people see when they see Craig move, or you can see exhaustion, or you can see all these different things. Um, and I've, I've loved that. And some of the, oh, I've got so many memories, but some of my favorite training sessions have been when there's also a language barrier. So just some spectacular, you know, the, uh, I go somewhere and they did this a lot, <laughs> Quebec. They would, they would say like, do you want us to teach? And, you know, like it's a, it's a whole class full of people who speak French or the Quebec version of French. And they're like, do you want to teach in English? And I'd be like, no, like then why? And then everybody else struggles. So just teach in French. And then it would be just like, wow, I'm completely lost. I have no idea what's going on. I thought I spoke this language. Um, but those opportunities to communicate with movement, you know, or somebody saying words at me, you know, like language, like specific vocabulary in a different language, that it like unlocks something. Language, right? It's a whole language. I mean, even the way we study how to plasma, you know, or however you want to call it, by the way, uh, to me, there's a process that is akin to learning languages. You know, mm. first, you know, you can learn some, um, a little bit of grammar, you know, some do's and don'ts, but it's, it's very easy. I mean, it's not a lot of absolute don'ts, you know, like this you can never do in how to plasma. There are actually very few things that are absolute don'ts, very few. Yeah. But they're there for your own security, right? And yeah, that, <laughs> they're all that kind of stuff. Well, Shins. <laughs> well, that's one thing. Right? <laughs> you know, there's always a matter of respecting the environment and so on. Uh, but these, once you learn these basic rules, then eventually you can learn some more vocabulary. You know, and everybody, everybody, as he said, is a different vocabulary. Of course, there are some words that everybody uses mostly. Mm. Uh, but then afterwards, there's a different level where you can learn to express yourself in different, different ways, work on your style, so to speak, you know, as if you were writing or something. Mm. Uh, and everybody can find their own voice at some point. But this does not come right off the bat, you know. There's different levels to learning a language, and it's the same thing with autodiplasma. But all I'm saying is that it is a language, you know. There, mm. There's definitely something that you get from others when you uh, look at what you, they're doing, or something that you are also sharing when you're training by yourself or with others. Um, let's go further down the language rabbit hole. I'm sometimes I get fascinated by the idea that the language that you think in. So I'm a primary, primarily English speaker. So I think in English. I, I like you know direct objects go after the verbs and you know certain adjectives first and some sound like I think in that language. And it changes the types of ideas or it, or it constrains the types of ideas that one can have. This is the theory as, as I know it. And I'm, I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on, so if movement is its own language, 
what are the types of ideas that maybe it suppresses that we would normally have, like as a, a regular person who like a regular everyday Joe, what are the types of ideas that they might hold on to that once they start to think in movement, they might no longer have those ideas? Hmm. That's a really hard question. Yeah, I know. It's a tough one. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's going to answer it, but one thing that comes to mind is uh, our relationship with time changes uh, across different languages. You know, uh, for example, in some uh, Arabic and some, you know, Eastern languages and so on, you know, uh, the way the phrases are structured, they look at the action as if they were looking, you know, towards the past. Some languages look at the uh, action of it as if it's going to happen next and so on. And so the, the, the relationship with time is a little bit different in the very mechanics of the language. Mm -hmm. uh, this sounds like a very um, highfalutin uh, <laughs> notion, but... I started it, I'm sorry. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but this kind of um, notion, I believe kind of dissolves, it kind of disappears with movement because there's only one time when you move and it's mm. the moment. You know? That immediacy. Of course, you know, of course, you can do some planning, you can see some obstacles that are coming, you know, at some point, oh, well, I'm going to have to run, you know, if I don't want to make that running jump, for example, you know, you can just walk there and do, you know. so. <laughs> I'm going to hope my way over. <laughs> You have to have some kind of vision at some point. You have to be able to foresee what it was coming. But the movement itself is very much grounded in the present moment. And it might sound corny, but that's, that's actually a very important part of training and evolving as a practitioner too. So I think uh, this is one of the things that comes, that comes to my mind, and it might not answer your question, uh, but the relationship with time is very different uh, in the language of movement, so to speak. Hmm. Would, and that, has, yeah, I, that also, by the way, has um, uh, implications for our relationship with ourselves. You know, For example, if I'm uh, expressing myself in French or English, you know, or in my, it doesn't matter if I'm actually talking with somebody or if I'm within my own mind, if that makes any sense, you know, like self-talk. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm always going to be projecting, right? Oh, I'd like to be this person or that person. Or maybe I'd like to present myself in this or that way. Or maybe I shouldn't. I should not have done this in the past. You know, mm. or I should have told this guy. I this should have before. seen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but when you starting to um, leap into the movement language, then that also tends to disappear, or you know, it gets asphyxiated somehow. And it lessens the, the self-talk <laughs> that's constantly mm. going on because there's no other way. Uh, you know, if you're doing a palm spin on a rail, for example, that's just a very uh, you know, graphic example. But if you're doing a palm spin on a rail and you're not fully present, you know, you're, you're going to see the results right away. I can tell you. <laughs> I, I, that's a great answer. As you were, a crazy question, my friend. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, so part of this job on this side is to figure out what people, you know, like, are we soft pitching today or are we throwing strikes or am I throwing at your head or what's going on? I 
am fascinated uh, recently, like in the last year or two, I've been trying to write more and I'm, I'm writing short form stuff. And <clears throat> that really forces me. So as you were talking about that, I was thinking writing forces me to filter and forces me to, I don't want to say censor. I want to say like quiets my internal blah, 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 crazy Craig person. And movement does that too. And they, they kind of do it in different ways and the result is different. I think moving tends to like, the, if I move enough, the thinking kind of really stops. Uh, not in a I'm brain dead way, but like in a, I, I really get into the present moment. It actually turns into like Zen um, movement. Movement is like a, to me, a form of Zen practice. Uh, where was I going with this? Oh, I know. Hey, let's talk about writing. <laughs> so, um, in <clears throat> in 2015, I looked this up. I cheated. In 2015, in September, I went to um, an ADD event uh, in Quebec. It was awesome. People, if you get a chance, if they when they have if they have the event, poof, go. Uh, oh, that was gorgeous. I hung out with some people who were from America, who were from all over from Canada. It was great. I got nothing but nice things to say. But while I was there the ebook version of your book you know i i'm i've talked about it for years i'm afraid to say uh art de déplacement uh lessons in practical wisdom i think it's called in english what's the I title in french so. <laughs> I think so. now we're both like duh how can we not I know? know yeah yeah that's the one yeah uh, uh and i read the french i am not reading the french lessons in practical wisdom what is the title in french Lesson de sagesse. Does that, yeah. does that make any sense? Uh, lesson de sagesse pratique. There we go. Yeah, practical. Years ago, I apologize. It's a bit Langu of my days. Language <laughs> nerds. Um, uh, so anyway, this book came out a little before that, but I, I got the Kindle version. Um, and it's it's not to people who are going, oh, God, he's talking about reading. I hate reading. Stop. Um, it's not that long. It's 90, possibly 89, but I think it's 90. Katravandis, yeah. It's 90. Um, I love it. Bite-sized, short. What I was doing with it was I would I would read one of them, and then I would I basically read it and then go train like with the group that I was training with, not up in Quebec, but like I'd read a chapter and then train and then think about it and then write about it. Um, I really love the book. Um, if anybody who's unless you've been under a rock or you've never heard me before, you know that I love the book because I talk about it all the time. And what I really liked about it was it's written in both English and French, so you don't have to wait or hope that the translator did a good job because it was written by the same person. So the author, you know, both things would come through as well as possible. Um, but what I wanted to ask today was, uh, I know that you more recently put, um, I don't know if I want to say a second edition or a slightly updated version, but you didn't do the English, you only did the French. And, and really what I was thinking was, what made you go back to the project. So it was first done in say 2015 or you're writing it in like probably 2014. And then you went back, I don't know how many years later was it? Six, uh, six years or something. Yeah. Let's At least go. five. Yeah. What, what made you go back to it? And cause yeah. I know writers often talk about like, it's really hard. You got to ship it and then it's done. What made you go back and change and what was the, the catalyst for that? Oh, uh, well, th thank you for that. I, and I know you, you really uh, enjoyed the first version and I know how much you, you talked about it to your friends and so on. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I, I believe that there was, you know, room for improvement over the years. And even if it was, if, if it was just over the span of, you know, five, six years or whatever that was, uh, even if it's fairly short, right? Five or six mm -hmm. years. Um, still my philosophy evolved, you know, the way I'm 
and training evolved. Uh, my lifestyle had to change, you know, due to age and, you know, circumstances, you know, everything changes. Right. Uh, so I had to adapt, obviously. But the thing is, um, I realized, you know, uh, with uh, hindsight, you say, hindsight, mm, right? Yes. Uh, that first of all, there was some, you know, there was room for improvement uh, when it comes to the, uh, the writing per se, you know, like the style. I, I think mm. I could do better, frankly. Uh, in both languages, by the way. Um, so I did my best with the rewritten, you know, like a new uh, version in French. I've actually rewrote the whole thing, so so to speak, you know, it's mostly the same content. Uh, but I also wanted to add some nuances. And uh, there were some elements that I believe some people might have misunderstood. Uh, not that anybody told me, you know, like, it's not like I received emails with people but frankly, you know um, I'm just going to give you an example it's just, a, it's actually a very personal example, but it's it's not that personal I'm mentioning it in the new introduction, you know, the introduction to the new edition um, in this book, I draw upon so many different um, sources of inspiration you know, from Greek philosophy to, you know, modern psychology, to, you know, uh, Taoism and martial arts, you know, and a bunch of other, you know, other yeah, places. pop culture, right? But, you know, there's some pop culture references as well. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff there, but uh, this might be uh, somewhat confusing for the people who, who really know me and who, who happen to know that I'm actually a very... Uh, a devout Buddhist practitioner. Uh, this is my, uh, you know, my spiritual refuge. And I wanted to point out that there's actually a difference between uh, having a spiritual refuge, so to speak, you know, like a one's life path and so on, and drawing inspiration. You know? And one, uh, there, one does not contradict the other, you know, but it might be confusing if you don't know that. So uh, the the analogy that I like to give, you know, is, uh, I did not come up by, with this analogy, by the way, but anyway, is if you're, um, if you're trying to find water in the ground, right, uh, you might be given a shovel, you know, and start to dig. But if you dig a little bit, just a tiny bit of soil, and then you move, you meet this way and a tiny bit, and then you move and you, and you know, your whole life, you could be digging small holes mm -hmm. without ever getting to the water. You know what I'm saying? Yes, there's more or less something like that with spirituality. At some point, if you just do constant shopping, uh, you know, it doesn't going to get you anywhere. That that's what I'm thinking. But you can still be very open and appreciative of different, you know, lineages of wisdom, so to speak, or different uh, ideas. You know, and have friends from all different traditions. That's totally uh, that totally works. You know, there's no problem with that. So the reason I'm mentioning that. Uh, is that I just wanted to make, you know, the distinction, and not only from a personal point of view, but also to explain what art de déplacement is and is not. And art de déplacement is not, you know, promising enlightenment, you know. It's not, it's, <laughs> it's not telling you, you know, well, you know, if you do this, you know, if you follow art de déplacement, you're going to get, you know. No, it's a training method. And, of course, it does have some philosophical uh, components, some psychological components, social elements, and spiritual elements to some extent. 
but it's still it's a training method and people sometimes they get really stiff you know due to the fact that you're supposed to use the values of art de déplacement into your whole life which is totally true you know it has to make sense at some point outside of the training sessions but it doesn't matter that's the that it doesn't mean that art de déplacement is the end all you know philosophically speaking you know that's yeah. just one way to get in touch with yourself with you know with others one way to be at ease with your environment one way to keep in shape too and to stay creative it's not necessarily the end all you know there's there's other stuff in life <laughs> so i just wanted to remind readers that you know that it's not because we talk about spirituality in the context of an art de déplacement book that it's meant to be you know a bible of sorts it's not at all it's just a suggestion suggestion box if you will like an idea box if that makes any sense I think it makes sense. Um, I have to resist the urge to like copy and paste out a PDF and drop it all into Google Translate. <laughs> but I, I think that I used the I actually used the book like that in a way. I was for a while I was doing um, like I would spend one week, you know, reading reading the particular piece that I was bookmarked on, and then training, and then writing blog posts about it, doing it as like a personal book study kind of thing. And I think that's a good way. Um, whatever people listening, whatever would attract you, you can pick any book. Um, a lot of um, Western religions do this with daily readers. Like there's the official particular one of these from your particular um, religion, whatever they call that. Anyway, your your specific church might say, here's the thing that we're using. And then they would, it has this advantage of, going back to language again, it has this advantage of uh, one of the chapters in your book is like, uh, about lemons, you know, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Uh, and, and that's a common, uh, metaphor. Is that a metaphor or a simile? <laughs> I'm always, I'm not the greatest at grammar, or saying, or um, whatever, but, but it's a, when you hear that everybody has an idea in their head and we all have, now we all have kind of like a similar idea and then having these common touch points in language are helpful. So it's useful to have writing, you know, to say, like here, I made this, this is what I think is the best that I can present. And then it's a thing that you can share. I mean, maybe not it's a dead tree version, like it can be digital, but it's a thing that you share with other people. And then they use it as a jumping off point for their thinking. And it gives you this, um, as a, as a writer, just anybody who writes, not like a capital W writer or author or printed books, but as anybody who writes, Writing and then sharing that gives you the opportunity for other people to see it and then for them to come back later and say, you know, I thought about what you wrote. You're completely wrong. You're completely right. Or it gave me this idea. It's a lot of that feedback or that, um, to me, I always think of like a Mobius strip. It comes back, but it's different. That feedback is part of why I love doing these conversations. Although a lot of times it's a monologue because I talk too much. Uh, okay, so we, Andy, what's coming to mind for you? Do you want to keep talking more about the book? Do you want to talk more about language? What's coming to mind? Oh, well, there's actually another nuance that I wanted to, um, you know, to discuss uh, between the two different uh, versions of the book. It's actually pretty much the same. So if you guys, you know, anybody who hears that, oh, no, I can't read French, you know, the, the first version probably works. I mean, you know, it's not as elegant as I, as I would like it to be. And maybe someday I'll do a new version. But, you know, it's... Maybe your bar is just too high for translation to English. <laughs> About 95% of the content is the same, so, you know, no worries. But uh, I was going to discuss the, 
uh, one of the things that with hindsight I, I realized that was a little off or easily misunderstood. Uh, and why? Because we, and when I say we is, you know, me and my training partners, you know, this is something that we actually misunderstood for quite some time, I believe, uh, as coaches as well, is when we discuss, when we talk about the culture of effort. This is something that we talk about all the time, right? Effort. It's all about effort, you know, all the déplacement, la culture de l'effort. And there's this whole idea, this whole notion that if you're, if you transform or if you manage to to change your very relationship with effort and see it as something uh, worthwhile in and of itself, then uh, it's much more gratifying, whatever, you know, regardless of the result, you know. So what I'm, what I'm saying is that as you start your auto déplacement journey, for example, you start to train, you do some QM, you know, some credit brittle movements and, and so on, you find it, excruciating you, you might hate it at first you know you don't see the point but at some point at some point you, you might start to relax as you do it and it's the doing that is you know more fulfilling and you know more worthwhile and you actually enjoy the process instead of just the result that makes sense right mm, yes. it's something that we get to see after a few years of training i guess uh, but for many years we insisted so much on effort, 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 effort. And I, I think that we did not see that there was a bit of a bit of an um, overemphasis, you know, we're, we're emphasis, uh, I'm looking you for had it. Overemphasis is just fine. That's the right word. Is it? Yes. Uh, too much, you know, uh, of a focus on that uh, was counterproductive. And by that, I mean that there's a, there are some areas in your training and in your life as well, obviously, where uh, effortlessness is precisely what's required. <laughs> mm. or, or some kind of middle way, you know, between the two extremes, you know, of sheer laziness and, you know, like martial marine. Sloth. <laughs> no, but, you know, there's also the extreme if, you know, we have this marine kind of mentality at some point, you know, like very, like, it was very, very intense. And uh, that may not be always sustainable. Mm -hmm. It works to some extent, and at some, you know, and, and there are some um, moments in your life where where you have to do that. You have to kick yourself in the butt, so to speak, and really, uh, you know, get to it. Oh, yeah, you know, and it's actually very healthy to do that sometimes. But if you only do that, it's not sustainable. And you know, people who I've been training for a while, then they get to, I don't know, 40, 45, 50, and they get to realize that their relationship with their body changes and with the training change, and they have to adapt. It's not sustainable a model if you just push, 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 push all the time. So one perfect example, I believe, one perfect example of this middle way between you know sheer laziness and too much um, effort, which, by the way, could easily be misconstrued as stiff intentionality you know <laughs> uh that that's that's the whole issue right there is confusing effort with a stiff intentionality that's how i phrase it i don't know if it makes any sense mm, that makes perfect sense that's a good but say that say that again the, well the, the 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 issue is confusing effort and stiff intentionality that's that's how i would phrase it but, I like that. Uh, might not be the ideal way to phrase it but a perfect ex example i believe of this uh middle way 
between the two extremes would be uh, as you walk on a rail. You know, if you're too stiff, you know, it's not going to work. We all know that if we're too stiff, you know, somehow lacking confidence and believe that every single muscle of our body has to be dense (laughs) for us to be able to stick on the rail, it's not going to work. And if you're going the opposite direction and uh, are way too relaxed and don't put your mind to it at all, it also doesn't work, you know. So you have to find some kind of balance. And strangely, well, you know, funnily enough, we're talking about a balanced drill. <laughs> it's actually the, perf- the quintessential example of finding this, uh, this middle way, so to speak. So I-, I was just saying that because a lot of people have been coaching to youth, for example, and not just, you know, not just teenagers and children and so on, but, you know, to people of all age groups. And they've been uh, pushing so much but then, you know, there are injuries that happen and, and, and stuff happen and people don't age that well sometimes if they're pushing too much. So you have to uh, avoid laziness at all costs. <laughs> That's definitely something you want to avoid. Uh, you want to get a good workout and so on. It has to be challenging. But it also be it also has to be some kind of, um, uh, I don't want to say softness, but <laughs> it, it has to be smooth it, somehow you know your training has to have some component of uh ease and relaxation Hmm. brilliant there's a word that i sometimes use for that at the end there you you were searching for that oh that uh, i don't want to say it but je ne sais quoi you know and i think (laughs) i think it's sometimes i use the word touch which i got uh from adam mcclellan i think is the first person i heard talk about touch in parkour and there's there is an idea or, or the idea of touch is this, this thing where it's like, yeah, well, how do you land? Well, you land with the right touch. How do you, how do you, how do you, you know, do a cat pass? Like, oh, there's this uh, ethereal thing where if you do it right, all of the meanings of the word touch are there. And then if you do it wrong, some piece of touch is missing. And I, I found that was a big, it's still something that I need to work on forever. But I found that for me, that was a big deal in the beginning. I used to refer to it, I still do, as bashing. Um, I can, oh, I can bash. You know, I'm just like, I just put my head down often quite literally and, you know, just go. And and there's no mindfulness about it at all. It's, there's no touch. Um, it's not that I hurt people, but you know, it's like, I, well, you know, oh, QM. Okay. I can just, you know, you want to bash two kilometers. Okay. You know, like it hurts, but I can do that. And I think your, your description about that stiff intentionality is like, cause intentionality sounds like a great thing generally is, but yeah. if it's stiff, if like all you have is that, that's a, I think that's a great way to describe it. And I feel like if I was stiffly intentional, I would be missing touch. Maybe not all the time, but I'd be missing a certain touch. Makes sense. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, quick random story. Doesn't involve you. You weren't there. <laughs> I had the distinct pleasure of training in every, and they do this thing. I think Jan led it. Did this thing at night where we're all everybody's, you know, training together in the dark. I mean, there's street lights and stuff. And we were doing variations of QM. Imagine that. But before we started, we were asked to pick a partner and we were asked to find somebody that, you know, anybody, I mean, maybe you know them, maybe you don't, doesn't matter. Just pick someone who's going to be your partner for this whole session. And it doesn't matter where they are the same physical capability as you, because you're not going to train together. You're just going to check in on each other. And 
I mean, it wasn't a new thing. I'm sure they've done that a million times. But to me, that was brilliant because, and I won't tell all the anecdotes about the training itself, but the training was pretty brutal. But at the end of each section, Vincent's juggling, never saw that show. At the end of each section of it, I was pretty much bashing. But in order to find my partner in the sea of people who were all doing the activity, I had to literally look up. I had to figuratively lift my spirit and look around for my partner and then go to them and be like, how are you? And then when they said, how am I? It was kind of like, you know, instead of lying, be like, I'm great. I'm going to, I'm going to keep pushing through. Like if you had asked me at the end of the bashing, I would have told you I was doing great. But by the time I got a chance to go talk to that person, that was a more in the moment, more realistic um, response or engagement that I was able to have with that person. So I thought that was just a, something that came to mind about a, a way of training. I don't know whether the, you know, those guys were doing that because it's a way to teach people to be in the moment, to be mindful, to not, I don't know. I'm not asking it. I'm just like, it struck me that, Oh, that, that kind of did that by making me switch context between the literal get down in it and then get up and check on your partner and then get back down in it, <laughs> check on your partner, get back down in it. Uh, that's just something that popped into mind, and I didn't want to really say it because it ate up three minutes of time, but that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a good story. It's a good story. And, and what you said, by the way, you, you mentioned at some point lifting your spirit you know, or something like that, and you used the word figuratively, but it's not so figurative. It, you know, there's something very real about it. You know, like yeah. At some point, you have to you know, like change your posture mentally, physically too, you know? And, you know, so it's very, it's not just figurative. There's an actual lifting <laughs> of your energy level. And there's a change of uh, posture, both physically and mentally. And uh, I, you're right, of course. I, I definitely agree. I was just thinking that, you know, where the mind goes, the body follows. Where the body goes, the mind follows, right? These, these yeah. things are symbiotic. So the act of standing up and getting a little thoracic extension and then the brain like wakes up and yeah, there's a lot of that. Uh, I'm watching our time tick away. Fortunately, this doesn't have to be the only time we ever do one of these. We'll schedule one for eight years from now. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the calendar doesn't go that far. I will just say, and of course, the final question, three words to describe your practice. Oh, dear. That, that's that's a pretty good one. Uh, I would like to say ease, connection, and adaptation. And I might unpack this a, a tiny bit. Do we have time for that? Just, you know. All the time in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought about ease. Uh, because of course, you know, we're, we're, when we train in art de déplacement or parkour or, you know, what, whatever type of discipline or movement you do, at some point uh, you want to be at, at ease with the motions, you know, the very movements, you, can, you come to master them, so to speak, or, you know, at least, you know, understand the language, <laughs> as you said. Uh, but it's, I think you can be, learn to be at ease with yourself and uh, at ease with your environment, at ease with your training partners, with whom, with whom or who? Anyway, with whom you don't have to. <laughs> I apologize if that's not the right one. I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, you don't have to play games with them. That that's that's the whole point. You can be yourself. You don't have to pretend that you know stuff. 
if you don't know it and if you do you don't have to pretend that you're you know a loser or pretend to make <laughs> right. comedy or anything you know it's just there's some stuff you know some stuff you don't you don't have to pretend that you're in top shape if you're not in top shape that very day you just do what you can you can be yourself uh, and the whole notion of ease uh, is actually very profound uh, and that's where my personal training connects with uh, meditation, by the way, is that one of the first things uh, we learn through Buddhist meditation is to befriend with yourself. Uh, I don't want to confuse the whole discussion and mix our metaphors here, but uh, there's this notion of uh, learning to befriend with your own mind. Uh, and that can translate into the way you approach movement and any kind of training, by the way. So uh, at ease, it can be understood uh, at several levels. And then connection. Well, of course, you know, it's the same thing. There has to be some kind of connection with, with the environment. You mentioned the word touch, which has, again, many different levels, including a very um, gross level. Gross in the sense of, you know, physical, like the actual textures. Right. Uh, you're, you're getting so much information through textures and the sense of touch. And we barely talk about this nowadays because everything is so visual these days, but you're getting a lot of information through touch. But connection means, you know, being connected to your energy level, to your own capacities. Uh, is your mind clear or not today? If it isn't, mm. the right time, you know, to just start trying to do whatever stuff that might be risky for you, maybe it's not. There might be some other stuff you could be doing that day and so on. Connection also means being connected to your training partners and to you know, everybody else in the neighborhood because there could be some people watching, you know, and wondering and so on and so forth. Connection also means, by the way, uh, it could mean a lot of things, but it also means that you could be connected to the people who have been practicing this before you, you know, whether you've learned from the Yamakasi uh, or somebody else, you know, you can acknowledge that, you can appreciate what you've received from them. And there's also a connection with the people that will come after you because, uh, mm. sorry to uh, sorry to uh, to deliver the news, but you won't be there forever <laughs> and you won't be coaching forever if you're a coach and you won't be uh, moving in the same way forever. And you don't know when you're going to see you know, other people again. You're telling me as a joke, oh, well, let's do this again in eight years. Who knows, right? So there has to be some kind of authentic connection with others as well, as much as you can. And acknowledging the, um, the contribution of those that came before you, uh, and adaptation. Well, I think most people, uh, you know, listen to your podcast will, will know that term, you know, you got to adapt, right? So I don't want to, there's not much to add about this, but I think ease connection and adaptation, uh, are, are important words to me. And the, the third one, by the way, is important for me at this point in my life. I, I'm not sick or anything, you know, I'm not that old either, but I know this, you know, you know, there's this thing with time, right? Mm -hmm. you, you know, you, you've heard about time. Yes, I have noticed. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so at some point you have to adapt to your own circumstances. If you always fight against your own circumstances, then, you know, it's not going to lead you anywhere. And those circumstances could be your schedule, your work situation, your life situation, your situation with your partner, your you know aches in your body, an old injury that pops up, whatever the case may be, uh, you have to be uh, uh, to adapt and uh, 
work with the material that's there, not just some idea of what could be there. <laughs> you have to start where you are and go from there. Terrific. Um, that was awesome. Thank you for, uh, those are three good words, yeah. by the way, but, um, thank you for taking the time. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> you appreciate you not personally unfriending me <laughs> as I've been pestering you for years. Uh, so I appreciate that. Thanks for taking the time today to chat. Um, I hope people find the time to look up your book, uh, either version, and I hope they get a chance to think more about, uh, what we're talking about. I think there's some really good ideas in there. So thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate. And uh, if anyone re needs to reach me, you can look me up online. I'll be happy to do whatever I can. Sometimes I'm a bit slow with the emails, but I'm always happy to hear from readers. So thank you. <laughs>